This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. I just said the word more. Did you hear it? More? It can be a fun word. Please, sir, can I have some more? It's only fun if you get that more. If you get more money, you have more fun, more indulgence. There's a lot of mores out there, and we tend to accuse unions of going after more. And I do that personally because I've heard it from union representatives. What would you like? More. Are you happy with what you have? Not really. We'd like more. And that's a very generalized picture of things. It is their job to go and get their members more. But I think what we need to do as the teachers strike goes along today in the public high schools, and it kind of troubled me that this is only public high schools. I mean, this is this is picking and choosing. You're you're not partially in. You're either in or you're not. So this is kind of picking and choosing. Well, we don't want to upset people with young children, so we won't affect the elementary school. We'll just do the high school. And so that that kind of that troubled me. Just a little bit. Now, I realize we've got different representation, but at the same time, people are on on kind of the, the same vein here that they're fighting back against similar things. Now, at the high school level, maybe there is a little bit more to fight back against. And so in the interest of fairness, as we sit here and say, well, it could be just about more, I want to take you back to some comments that I found absolutely fascinating made by someone who I think is very qualified to make them. That person is Rob Steller, who spoke to 980 CFPL Global News reporter Sawyer Bogdan earlier today. And Rob is a teacher at Clark Road. He is an athletic advisor at Clark Road, and he's also a parent. And I think having those bases covered makes him very qualified. So he was asked about this one-day strike by public high school teachers in the province of Ontario, and here is the reaction he gave. Primarily, you know, this has been painted as, uh, as an issue uh, that, that is primarily about compensation, and it's, it's absolutely, truly not. I am, I am not only a teacher, but I'm a parent, and I'm going to have kids in high school for the next eight years. And my biggest concerns um, are, are those kids being... Uh, having to take mandatory online courses. I, I don't believe in that. I don't think it's it's good for kids, and I, and I don't believe that you can impose that on all kids. You know, uh, I teach in a building that has a significant proportion of high-need students, and, and they, you know, students that may or may not have access to the Internet who may not have the extrinsic and intrinsic motivation to be successful with online courses. I, I just believe it's bad policy. It is unprecedented. You know, there is no jurisdiction in the world that has uh, two, let alone four, mandatory online courses. And it's, I, ju- I just think it's a bad deal. Um, and then in terms of, you know, uh, class sizes, what the reality of that situation is, is fewer teachers, right? And, and in, in any building, fewer teachers is not a good thing. But I think what, what the, the general public needs to know is, you know, fewer teachers, more kids means less attention per student. Uh, fewer teachers per building certainly means that there are fewer teachers around to add all the extras that we bring to the school. And I'm talking about things like clubs and sports. Um, my kids in particular, my, my daughter goes to a smaller secondary school with a staff of just over 30 individuals. You know, you do the math on these cuts. If that school loses two or three teachers, that's significant, 
right? That, that can't be absorbed. That's fewer courses that are going to be available, and that's two or three less teachers who are going to do things like coach, you know, run clubs. Um, and so uh, the compensation thing, I mean, it is what it is right now. Uh, I think it's a negotiating point, certainly, but it is by no means the main point. Uh, we're primarily out here because of we don't want fewer teachers, and we certainly don't want imposed e-learning. That is Rob Steller. And he is with Clark Road Secondary School. And here's why I found that fascinating. Rob lays out what is the real issue. And we started talking about this before the end of the last school year. We started talking about the fact that this is going to be a big fight. And this is why. And Rob laid it out. The province is at the table talking dollars. The teachers union is at the table on behalf of the teachers talking quality of education for students. So... Think about that. Dollars. Quality of education for students. We want dollars. We want quality of education for students. Dollars. They're two different things. You might as well be yelling apples, bananas, apples, machines. It's, It's not the same. You're arguing over two different things. And in order to recoup those dollars, what the province of Ontario wants to do is have mandated e-learning. And I am completely in agreement with Rob in that some students are not going to be in the best position to learn if it's mandated e-learning. You can't necessarily just say, and I don't care whether they're 16, 17, 14, 22, it doesn't matter. Sometimes imposed e-learning is not going to be in the best interest of certain students. And that's what makes elementary school and high school a great training ground. Because when you get those great trainers, when you get those great teachers, they can help you to learn, but that has to be there. That help to learn has to be there. And here's the other thing I don't like about that. The Ford government is looking at this and saying, well, we'll just, we will be able to cut down on the number of teachers that we have if we have fewer courses to teach. So mandatory e-learning. When was the last time anyone from the Ford government looked at the state of online courses in high schools? Have you had a student take one? I've done some checking around. I mean, my daughter took one years ago. But that was too far ago, and it was a mess. It was a disaster. You know, there were things referenced in that course that didn't even exist. You couldn't get to them online because the links were gone. No one had checked up on that course. It was, it was awful. Now, she's a good, I'll teach myself this stuff, and she did. But for most people, no, I don't think that would happen. That would be a big problem. If there's something that doesn't belong to you, don't take it. It's not yours. But we know that for a long, long time, that's been going on. And we've got a story right now, courtesy of the person who it happened to, about something of theirs that was taken. Michael Masonville has had his food trailer stolen not long before he planned to open it up so that we could all take advantage. And Michael joins us right now. Michael, we know this has been a pretty tough week. Are things going any better now than what they were? Uh, Really, there's been no change uh, since yesterday. Okay, then let's go back. Let's go back to what you have discovered. You had a food trailer, 
and it was named the Woodshed Poutinery, which already I'm I'm intrigued by. Uh, inspired by your grandmother? Yeah. Uh, so uh, originally we were going to name it after my grandmother, but we couldn't do that according to the uh, the rules, I guess. So I had to think about what we would name it. And the running joke when we were kids uh, growing up, I have a really large family, and the running joke between all of us is whenever anybody would misbehave or do anything wrong, Grandma was going to take him out to the woodshed. <laughs> so you, you come up with the woodshed poutinery. All right. So you have this, and then you go to look at it, check on it on Monday, and what do you discover? Uh, yeah, I usually check on it daily um, because it's, we're not, we weren't quite open yet. Um, so I, checked, I usually checked on it, went inside, and made sure everything was okay. Uh, drove by yesterday and uh, the trailer was gone. We had a table outside of it and uh, that was left behind, but the chains had been cut and somebody had broken the trailer lock that we had on it, obviously, and uh, and it was uh, missing. And at that point, where was it situated? Uh, we had it at uh, the corner of Piccadilly Street and Talbot Street, uh, right uh, close to the underpass, uh, right uh, behind a billboard. Uh, but it was still highly visible. Sure. And in terms of the size of it, if we're to picture it, I mean, it, this doesn't sound like an easy thing for someone just to pop by, cut some chains, and pull away. No, it uh, it was about 14 feet long. It had a, uh, a black platform on in one section, and the other section was enclosed. Um, it was pretty heavy. Um, they would have to have a nice big truck to tow it away with. Yeah, someone would have to know, in other words, what they were doing. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely planned. We're talking with Michael Masonville, and Michael was all set to open the Woodshed Poutinery, scheduled to open at the end of the month, as a matter of fact, and went to check on it on Monday at the corner of Piccadilly and Talbot, and it was gone. Chains had been cut. It had been taken. And this was a new business venture for you, was it not? Yes. Uh, I was in the uh, food industry uh, before, but about uh, eight years ago, I made the change to uh, social services career, and then uh, recently um, decided to go on my own. <laughs> <laughs> so get back kind of into food services. And... Get back into food services. Yeah, I was actually a joint venture with uh, my sister, who was becoming my business partner, and uh, we decided to uh, try it out together. Can you describe, I wish we could show a picture on the radio, but can you describe for us maybe something that, that might make this trailer stand out should someone happen to see it? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a beige trailer uh, enclosed. It, it almost looks like a woodshed, which worked perfectly for the name. <laughs> has a red a red tin roof. Um, like I said, partially it's partially enclosed and partially there's a black platform uh, on the front of the trailer. Uh, which is open, and um, there are speakers hanging from uh, the ceiling in two spots. Um, yeah, it's very it's very distinguishable and noticeable. Yeah, okay. And did you report the theft to police? Did you have you have you heard anything about it in that way? Yeah, I reported it to uh, to police immediately. Um, they took the information. The trailer was registered, so they have the license plate information as well. And uh, they said that they would get back to me if anything came up. Certainly. Well, my we guess w- is that uh, my guess is that somebody took it out of town, though. 
<laughs> yeah, well, let's let's hope that even somebody listening out of town happens to catch a podcast or or happens to have a police contact, and maybe just maybe this can this can come on back to you. Anything else about it that we might need to know? Um, not about not about the trailer physically. It's just uh, you know we put a lot of uh, intangible or intangible equity into that trailer, and uh, we'd like to get it back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you describing this to us, Michael. It's an unfortunate situation. Let's hope that at some point we can have some sort of happy ending. Thanks so much. That is Michael Masonville. So a trailer is there. It's chained down. Somebody comes by, cuts the chains, and hauls it away. Give me a break. We get an opportunity to talk about something pretty wild right now. And at the same time, at the same time, it's almost disappointing. Are our food costs going up for 2020? Well, it looks like they are. There's a new release, a new report that has been done between Dalhousie University and the University of Guelph. And it makes use of something pretty fascinating that we'll find out about right now because we get to talk with Dr. Simon Samoji, who's the Arel Chair in the Business of Food and the Director of the Longos Food Retail Laboratory in the School of Hospitality, uh, School of Hospitality at the University of Guelph. And we're going to talk about what 2020 looks like and what we are spending our money on with regard to food. Dr. Samoji, in your report... What are we seeing? So we're seeing for 2020 a 2 to 4% increase in food prices across the board. And we even think that's a little bit conservative. So that would mean an annual food bill of about $12,667 for the average family of four in Canada. So that's a $487 increase for next year. And it's also illustrating that for a family to four to eat based on the guidelines that you're using, and we'll get into kind of where mm-hmm. that can come from, but that's a thousand dollars a month plus. It is, you know, it's a lot of money. It, there are ways of getting around and making things a little bit easier for the uh, for your pocket, but yeah, it's not looking good. So when you look at putting together these numbers, how are they calculated? So what we do is we have an artificial intelligence machine learning program. And what it does, it takes almost 200,000 pieces of data from weather data, uh, stock prices, resource prices, commodity prices. And it learns how the, the prices move over time. So it looks 30 years in the past, and then it says, okay, based on that for the next 12 months, this is what we think the prices are going to be. So it's, yeah, it's an artificial intelligence program, and we found it to be really accurate. In fact, we were 99.8% accurate for the year of 29 to date. And kind of well, as we listen to that number, 99.8% accurate, you can't mm-hmm. get much more accurate. But when you're looking from your perspective, how impressive mm-hmm. is it to be able to say 99.8%? Is that unheard of? That is a unicorn event. It's uh, unheard of. It's I think we got a bit lucky, but uh, yeah, our machine learning algorithm, it's learning, it's getting better, uh, and, and sadly, it's saying to us that next year is going to be more expensive. 
Man, and then you look at things that have been outlined regarding, you know, rising wages for inflation and the fact that a lot mm-hmm. of wages aren't being corrected for inflation. You look at the rise mm-hmm. in cost here. When when you look at at the numbers, what exactly do you expect to see rise the most? What should we maybe mm-hmm. have to stay away from? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things we've predicted is meat. So meat, we're predicting to increase by 4 to 6%, or maybe even greater than that. Uh, the reason for that, well, meat is a globally traded commodity, and China is one of the biggest uh, consumers of meat in the world, particularly pork. And they've got a problem with, with a thing called African swine fever, which has been decimating their pig herds. So they're trying to get as much pork from around the world. That will mean that it might be a little bit more expensive in Canada. Uh, vegetables is the other big one. Let's get real. We between now and May, we can't grow vegetables outside in Canada. It's just too cold. So we have to import so much. So weather events in the US and Mexico, uh, slowing down our trucks means shortages and higher prices. Uh, Mexico border, there's been a lot of slowdowns uh, in, in product getting across the border. That slows, that increases prices. We've seen Remain, E. coli contamination. We've seen shortages in that. That's increased prices. And hey, there's even crazy things like food fads and trends. This earlier this year, we saw the celery juice craze that hit everyone. Yeah, and, uh, and that just made you know celery bunches go up, you know, six to seven dollars a bunch. So we're, we're so heavily influenced by importation and global markets as well. We're talking with Dr. Simon Samoji, and Dr. Samoji is the lead on a report that came out, a co-author, and the lead with the University of Guelph. It was co-authored between Dalhousie and the University of Guelph, and it deals with food prices in 2020 and deals with a program, could we call it like an algorithm, or is it way more than just an algorithm? Yeah, it's basically a machine learning algorithm. Um, it learns from what it's done in the past and incorporates huge amounts of data and, and can can work through data and find commonalities in it that normal people and normal programs can't. Uh, so yeah, it's it's in some ways it's smarter than us in being able to predict food prices. We always tend to try to lay blame at the hands of the grocery stores as consumers. You'll think, oh, that grocery store that, you know, now that celery bunches have gone up there, they'll just leave it there and they'll just continue to take on the profits. Is there any evidence of that? Well, no, we we do see when there are spikes in prices because of weather events or, you know, the E. coli thing or even the, the crazy celery juice issue, you know, prices do come down. Um, but, you know, the grocers, they're subject to the same issues that we have. You know, the, they're the biggest employers of people in Canada. The biggest private sector employer in Canada is a, is a grocery store. It's Loblaws. Uh, so all the costs that we would bear as consumers and, and as people, they're getting the same costs as well. Uh, so, you know, they have to balance the, the, the rising costs that they have. And, you know, transportation is a big part of their cost. Employing people is a big part of their cost. Um, so it's not easy for them either. 
The 2020 forecast from this report is predicting that we will see a rise in the cost of food to the tune of about $487 for the average Canadian family. So if you look at the average family being a family of four, they would be spending $12,667 annually. And Dr. Samoji, that's not incorporating, oh, well, we went out to eat at a restaurant, so we spent $100 Mm -hmm. there. That's not what we're talking about, right? No, but it does also include restaurant costs. So we, we take that into account oh, okay. for the total annual food bill. But yeah, you're right. Restaurants are a big expense. So if you remember back to early this year when Canada came out with a new food guide, it said, you know, these are the sort of foods you should eat. But it also says you should cook more at home because it's better for you. But they're right. Restaurants are expensive. See if you can cook at home. Uh, that cuts down a lot of costs. When we look at province by province, because this report breaks that down, how does Ontario come out? So, yeah, we look at the 2 to 4% increase, and then we look at each province and see if we think that that price is going to go up or down. Uh, for Ontario, it looks like it's going to be pretty much within that 2 to 4% range. We're not expecting much higher than that or much lower than that. Um, and look, inflation is around 2%, so, you know, it's, it's not going to be drastically more than 4%. We hope. Well, we'll see how it does play out. It might teach us to eat out less, because if restaurants are dealing with the same Mm -hmm. kind of rising Mm -hmm. costs, you know where those costs are passed along. Mm -hmm. Do we know the breakdown uh, between, you know, the money that is spent in grocery stores and and roughly how much money an average family of four would be spending in a restaurant? It's about, you know, 25 to 30% of Canadians' food budget is spent, probably 20 to 30% is Spent, the budget is spent on food outside of the home. Okay. And that's becoming more and more prevalent as people are busy, they haven't got time to cook. Um, and the restaurants know that, or the, you know, the food service industry knows that, and they, just, they provide us with the convenience of food, but at a higher price. So you know, it's, it's a balancing act for all families, trying to make sure you produce, sorry, cook good food at home but also balance the fact that you just don't have time to do it sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating report. Thank you so much for putting it together. And and if you're as accurate as you are this year than last year, uh, we better start finding a way to save up just a little bit more. (laughs) I hope it goes down. I hope we're wrong. I hope it goes down. So uh, fingers crossed. Thanks so much, Dr. Samoji. My pleasure. Dr. Simon Samoji from the University of Guelph a co-author of a report done with Dalhousie University on the cost of food in 2020. And again, they've got software, call it an algorithm, call it basically something that learns. And this is why they've been able to become as accurate as they have. As he says, he hopes he's wrong, but they say 10600 uh, no, sorry, 12600 for the year. So roughly $1,000 a month, just over $1,000 a month for a family of four. Now, keep in mind, that is budgeting $250 a month for eating out. So seven fifty from the grocery store, roughly eight hundred. Let's say seven uh, seven sixty from the grocery store, and then you would look at it and say it would be about two hundred and fifty dollars eating at restaurants or eating takeout. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from one to three.